Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy dropped Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show brought to you by Pepsi, Indeed, and with Bet Online. It is Friday. You know what that means. It is preview day. We'll have Teron Davenport, my colleague who covers the Titans for ESPN, on here in just a couple of minutes. We'll get into Derek Henry. We'll talk a bit about Arthur Smith, a potential head coaching candidate who's their t- offensive coordinator. He's covered a lot of successful coaches around the league, so we talk about some traits that he has seen in successful coaches. It's a pretty fun and enlightening conversation, uh, and I highly recommend you check out his own work. He has his own podcast, Talking with TD, that I was actually on this week, and he also does these things on ESPN.com called Whiteboard Wednesdays, where he will make you a smarter football fan and break down actual tape for you. He's really good at it. I highly recommend you see it. Before we go to him, just one or two quick Lions things. I'm going to keep this real short today. Obviously, we don't know exactly what's going on with Frank Ragnow. The big concern is, as if you listened to the podcast yesterday, you heard about his vocal cords and his inability to speak. Doctors have told him he can't say a word on Wednesday or Thursday. They're going to try and check again here on Friday. Daryl Bevel said they would not put him out there if they felt it was an unsafe situation. I then asked him, well, wouldn't playing with, you know, a vocal cord contusion not be safe? And, you know, he said like this, and they're going to have to talk to doctors and specialists and let them make the call and explain what's going on. Ragnar's in the building. Joe Dahl said that. He's kind of really tried to just ask him yes or no questions so Ragnar could give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So he's at least in the building. We'll see what happens when injury designations come out later today. But, I mean, that's, as I said yesterday, like, at some point you have to be really smart, too, because beyond football and beyond needing vocal cords, you know, for playing center and and football, like, this is a life thing. This is a, like, you can't really mess around with that at all when it comes to that. So to me, I, I think the Lions have to make sure and, you know, Frank Ragnow has to make sure those are fully healed and not possibly damaged again or possibly re-damaged if he goes out there before you can even think about putting him back on the field. That, But again, that's just me. Uh, Matthew Stafford did not practice again Thursday. Obviously, whether or not he practices on Friday, I think, will be a big key uh, as to whether he will appear on Sunday. And no Kenny Galladay again. Not surprising there, considering where he's been. So that's kind of where things are. Lewis Riddick 
according to Adam Schefter, is scheduled to interview with the Lions today. So that's an external general manager candidate. There's more guys being rumored rumored for next week. I think NFL Network reported Thomas Dimitrov and Adam Schefter reported Scott Pioli should also be interviewing next week. So next week will be a busy week for the Lions. I anticipate this week was probably busier than we know as they start to really cast their wide net for who they might hire as general manager. And I think at that point, we'll have an idea a little bit more of who might be the next head coach. We'll be back right after this with Teron Davenport right here on the Michael Rothstein Show. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over, much to the happiness of probably everybody. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. That's right, no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new New way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast, faster than even Matt Prater's 59-yard field goal went through the uprights. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are one of them. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how much you watch. And let's be honest, if you're watching the Lions right now, you probably need something to get you through what you've been seeing on the field. And Pepsi is that refreshment you need to power through any game day, even Lions games. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. My next guest on the Michael Rothstein Show covers the Tennessee Titans for ESPN. Does a great job there. Make sure you check out his Whiteboard Wednesdays, wherever you can go on Facebook or wherever they are. And Teron can tell us about that. But they're really informative if you want to be smarter about the game. Teron Davenport, welcome to the show. Hey, appreciate you having me on, man. And thanks for the Whiteboard Wednesday shout out. You could definitely you could check those out on Twitter, Instagram, on, on our NFL page, the ESPN.com 
uh, click on the Titans part of it. But yeah, man, thanks for, for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So, all right, the big thing with the Titans is clearly Taylor Lewan and all of that. I'm joking, obviously. The interesting thing with him or with the, with the Titans is Derrick Henry. Like, yeah. where where is Derrick Henry right now in that quest for 2000? And do you think he has a real shot at this? Like, is Eric Dickerson's mark really in reach? And, and what does Derrick Henry say about that? Yeah, I, I don't think Eric Dickerson's mark is in reach, but the 2,000 yards, that's something that is a, a reasonable possibility. Now, he'll have to average around 156 yards per game over the next three weeks. Fortunately, you got the Lions run defense, and, and then it, they'll be going against Houston, who is struggling to stop. But you got Green Bay in between, and they're, I believe, 12th in the league. So it's it's going to take a lot of loading the wagon this week and, and really loading it at the end of the season. So it's definitely possible, but it's so crazy, right? Derrick Henry, just to be a guy that runs the way that he does and, and just has that presence that he has on the football field, it's every bit of the opposite off of it. And he's one of those guys where it's so much tougher when you're on Zoom and you have him in the crowd, it's just a lot tougher to get him to talk. I was so pleasantly surprised at the first time I got a one-on-one -on -one with him. And we just had, we developed a pretty solid relationship. So when you talk to him one-on-one, -on -one, you get a lot of information. But when you talk to him in a group, this is basically what you get when you ask him about a 200-yard performance or even going close to 2,000 yards. Well, listen, you know, I, I just uh, – it's all about the team, and, and we're focused on getting a win this week, and, and that's what's most important. The stats are, are, are great, but, you know, I'm not into individual accomplishments. It's all about the team, and the only thing out there, it, our offensive line, I shout them out, and, and the, the receivers and the tight ends for block. That's what you get. So it, he doesn't really say much in regards to that, but I know it means a lot for him because – you could tell. I remember in the locker room after the Texans game last year, you know, I went up to him, and he had this big smile on his face. And, you know, we're always objective, but you develop relationships with guys, you know. And, and I smiled back at him and shook hands, and he gave me a hug. And I could tell that that really meant something to him, getting that rushing title. So just like anyone else, you know, an individual accomplishment means a lot to him, but he won't let us know that. Why is that just, do you think, an Alabama way of being that kind of translated to the NFL? Or is that just him? Or I think it's a combination of those two things and the mindset that this team has. It's all about team first. And Alabama definitely was a major thing. As a matter of fact, I remember being at the Heisman Trophy presentation. It was at 2015. And I remember talking to him. And I was like, man, like you are on the cusp of the pinnacle of running backs, like Bo Jackson, you know what I mean? All the names. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, that's great, but this is a would be a great accomplishment. But I'm focused on us winning a national championship, you know. So it even it goes back. You are correct. It goes back to Alabama, but it, it it's also a team thing. I'm curious about Derrick Henry too, because like. You looked at it, you look at his numbers throughout the course of his career. Those first two years, I mean, maybe saying he was just a guy is even being kind. You know, it just wasn't really there. What 
changed in 2018 to turn him into a thousand yard back. And then the last two years to turn him into the guy that's averaging over a hundred yards a game rushing, which is very rare in the league. Yeah. So really what it comes down to is he started to run with more authority, run behind his pads. And uh, I, I always joke, I, I like to go back to some of my uh, experiences with coaches. And I remember if if we did something that was really courageous or excellent on the field, you know, coach would say, oh, look at you. You went to see the wizard and got some heart. That's literally what Derrick Henry did. He had, it was a Chargers game, I want to say week seven of 2018. It, it was a game in London. And I remember after that game, that's when you started to see a difference. And he had a conversation with Eddie George. That's really what did it. And Eddie George just spoke to him like a man, spoke to him like an OG would speak to a young buck and just told him, like, look, man, you got to be the one inflicting the, the damage. You have to be the one running with authority. You're too big to be running like this. You got to play better. Stop tiptoeing. And all of a sudden, you saw him just start to hit those holes. But then the other thing is, he stopped worrying about trying to hit the home run all the time. And that's something that, it, you know, obviously when you're setting goals, you're like, yeah, I want to do this, but you have to understand the steps that are required to, to get there. You can't always bounce a run out. Sometimes you have to hit that hole and then get to that second level and take off. And you start to see him just run with a lot more authority and everything just started to get into sync also because that offensive line, they really helped out. And that December, as a matter of fact, he has 615 yards rushing that December. 2019 in December, he had 549. This year, in order to get that 2,000 yards, he needs 743. So it's going to be a big accomplishment, you know, and a tough one. But that's really what happened. He started to run with a lot more authority. That stiff arm really started to show up even more. And he just – he wasn't worried about hitting the home runs. He was just sticking to what it was that was there. And, and those five 10-yard runs in, in the, the first quarter and first half started to turn into 30. 40 and 50 yard runs later in the game. How much of that is Mike Vrabel too? I think a lot of it is because it's that Mike Vrabel mindset of, look, we're going to, we're going to run the football. We're going to play defense, control the, the clock. Those are the ways that you do that, right? The best friend for a defense is a strong running game. Because you're keeping the ball away from the offense. So, yeah, it, it definitely has a lot to do with Mike Vrabel. And he really bonded with Derrick Henry quickly. And, it, you know, Derrick Henry kind of became one of the guys that he relies upon to, to relay the message that he has to the team. When it comes to Mike Vrabel, and this is where I want to go next, because there was a lot of thought that had the Lions not hired Matt Patricia in 2018 mm – -hmm that Mike Vrabel was going to be the guy that they hired. What type of team, I guess, did he instill in Tennessee? Because obviously Matt Patricia's fired, and we're going to get to a possible coaching candidate here in, in a couple minutes, but in Arthur Smith. But like, what type of team did Mike Vrabel bring in in 2018 that changed the Titans' fortunes? I, I would say, first, family. Right. And, and he immediately got buy in. And, and that started with Taylor Lewan, and, and it just kind of pushed out to all of the players. So that was the first thing. But then also being conditioned. 
that team is always in good shape. You rarely see them waning down at the end of a game. And that goes hand in hand with what they want to do, just as far as being able to wear a team down with that rushing attack and, and with that, that passing game that they have also. So that's the second thing. But then the other thing is just, just being tough. Like Vrabel is a naturally tough guy. And typically teams take the personality uh, of the head coach. And that's why you see that every, every, every team that plays the Titans, before they play them, they're like, yo, this is going to be a dogfight. And after the game, they're like, man, that was a battle. Even if they beat the Titans, they're like, yo, that was a battle. Like, that team is really good, and they're disciplined, and they're tough. So I think those are the things that, that really are, are the major things that he's brought to the table. And it, it's just when I say that team and when I say family, it, it's really interesting because I, I've been around, what, both Harbaugh's, um, Doug Peterson, and now Vrabel. So those are four different coaches. The best coaches that I've seen are the ones that really put in that emotional deposit, right? And, and that would be John Harbaugh and, and Mike Vrabel. Peterson was good, really good. But it's just there was – there's it's just these guys, Harbaugh, John Harbaugh and Vrabel, they really have such a, a direct and personal relationship with the players, and that really matters. You did not mention Jim Harbaugh in there, who is obviously of interest to people <laughs> tangentially who probably were listening to this podcast. Did you, you know, did you feel that Jim Harbaugh maybe didn't do that as much? He did. It was more like a, a business relationship, you know, between he and the players. But they just loved the fact that he went in and turned. I mean, this dude, first year as the coach, NFC Championship game. This is a team that was losing a lot uh, <laughs> under Mike Singletary. You know what I mean? So really for them, it was just like, yo, this guy gives me hope. And he helped, he turned things around. So I think that was the relationship with, with, with Jim Harbaugh. Okay. So it's interesting that like, we're talking about coaching here. And I think that probably people are more interested in coaching maybe than this <laughs> game on Sunday that are listening. That happens, yeah. You know, I mean, welcome, welcome to the end of the season in perennially losing right. Detroit, Toronto. Right. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> The common traits, like you're, t you're talking about common traits with John Harbaugh, with Doug Peterson to an extent, and with Mike Vrabel. Is it that they just are able to connect and be more players coaches then? Or is there other, other common traits that you've seen where you're like, those guys in different situations have made, been successful and you know, created, so theoretically, we'll see what happens obviously with Vrabel, but theoretical sustained success. Yeah, I think really one of the biggest things, and I say that with, with Peterson and, and, and with Mike Vrabel, is the translation, the transfer of drills and practice to the game. And when you go in and you watch individual period and you see the, the players going through something over and over and over again, then you see them on the field and they do literally what they repeated over and over again during individual period, you're like, oh, okay, I understand that what they did has become a habit and that led to the success on this play. So I think that's the major thing. Also just the, the hands-on involvement, you know, that's something, a common thread that I, I saw in, in both Harbaugh's Vrabel and Doug Peterson, but mostly in, in, in Mike Vrabel. And that's something you have to mention as well. Um, and, and Ty McKenzie, the LB coach there, the inside linebackers coach there with the Lions, he really helped uh, push that too 
as far as just being involved with practice, actually going out there and mixing it up. I mean, I remember seeing guys literally tackle Coach Ty McKenzie to the ground. He wasn't in pads. They were, but he wanted to work on wrapping up and finishing plays. That's how he did it. You'll see Mike Vrabel go through a practice where he'll go, you'll see him with the offensive line working on hand-to-hand combat with, with, you know, Roger Saffold, and then he'll run over to the outside linebackers, and you'll see him working with Harold Landry on getting leverage. Then he'll run over to the receivers, and you see him working with Corey Davis on catching the ball through contact. Then he'll have the nerve to go to the cornerbacks and work with them on, on, on drop. This is what Mike Vrabel does. One practice, I followed him every place he went, and we're just talking about individual period, but I got a good 2,500 steps in. You know what I mean? Because that's what he does. He gets involved in every aspect of this thing, and that when when people see that, when players see that, and they understand that he's dropping jewels each time he stops, there's a respect level that develops, and I think that's what he's gotten as well. The buy, you mentioned the immediate buy-in with Vrabel, and it seemed like Peterson had that to an extent, too. Yes. Like how yes. quickly they got to where they got, you know, current issues aside. Yeah. How much of that is they have some cachet as former players, so there is a little bit of that? I think it's huge. And it's huge because you know from looking at a player, oh, yeah, you know what? He's getting tired. Or you know just from the vibe from the group, eh, I know we wanted to go till 2.30, but let's go ahead and see can we wrap it up at 2 o'clock. You know what I mean? Because you get that feeling from having been in that situation. You understand what it's like in that, right? You understand what it's like to, to be forced to practice when you're just tired and you're not really able to keep going you know, you got to dig in and, and, and find it somewhere. But how much better is it for you when you have a guy that's like, hey, look, I taxed you guys enough. Let's cut it. You know, and that's where the player relationship comes. But it also comes in having that experience of been there and done that. Some of the work that I've seen Mike Vrabel do with uh, the defensive linemen as well as with the outside linebackers, it's invaluable. Right. And, and, and you see them work on so many things that transfer over. Uh, you look at Doug Peterson. I remember watching him with, with, with Carson Wentz, it, you know, and then also having other former quarterbacks on, on that staff and, and, and John D. Filippo, who never gets enough credit for Carson Wentz's early development and Frank Reich as well. You would see them literally take the ball from Carson and Nick Foles, get in there and do the things that they're asking. Like they'll show it. And there's a difference in, in, in being able to be that guy to, to say, do as I say and as I do. And that's a huge difference. That's what Doug Peterson and Mike Vrabel as former players bring to the table. Jim Harbaugh bought the same thing. You notice Alex Smith had some of the best years that he ever had, and Colin Kaepernick did as well as quarterbacks under Jim Harbaugh. When you're looking at a guy that is on the staff of the Titans right now, Arthur Smith, He's a guy yes. that you're hearing a lot about as a potential head coaching candidate. Do you think he has you've, – you've covered a lot of good head coaches. I would argue every head coach you've covered can at least be classified in the successful category, right? if not good, depending on how you view you know, Jim Harbaugh is sometimes wearing out his welcome. 
<laughs> does Arthur Smith have those qualities to maybe be that another guy like that? Or are there concerns there that maybe he'd be among the litany of coaches who have not done well? No, I, I don't have any concerns about Coach Art being able to take over a team. And it, here's the thing with him. When he was a tight ends coach, a lot of times he was presenting to the whole offense, right? And this was when Matt LaFleur was there, the, the Green Bay Packers coach. You know, he was presenting to the whole offense, and he was a big part of, you know, getting everything in, installed. And if you look at the tight ends for the Titans, that's always been a strength when Arthur Smith was there. It's not a coincidence. So I would say he absolutely has a take charge mindset. And here's the thing. He's a former player as well. He didn't play in the league, but he played at, at North Carolina. And he was a pretty good offensive lineman before he got hurt. So definitely, I, I think that he would be good. But the kicker for me is guys could always tell when you're either phony or you're authentic. And one thing that I know these guys really respect about Arthur Smith, his dad started FedEx. Like this dude could be sitting somewhere with his feet on a desk, not doing a thing, but he chose to grind to the white meat on his knuckles to get to where he is. That dude went from quality control assistant on offense and defense to assistant tight ends coach to assistant O-line coach to tight ends coach to offensive coordinator and now a head coach candidate. And he lasted through multiple coaching staffs. He's his mindset and his approach to things that dates back to he has Joe Gibbs in him. You know, he worked with the Redskins back then, you know, so there's a, a really good melting pot of good things that he has, I think he would be an outstanding uh, coach. And, you know, for selfish reasons, because of my relationship with him, I would hate to see him go because it's good to be able to, you know, understand what it is going on with a, a play design or, or, you know, a play call. He, he talks about these things sometimes, you know, so he, he's good to have. Uh, most of the time it's, it's, um, he doesn't like to get into detail in, in, in Zoom or in those, but if you could get him one-on-one, -on -one, the insight that he gives you is awesome. And you see it in his play calls. Uh, the play design is really good. He's one of those coordinators that uses motion to get the guys in better position, not just to see, okay, what is the defense doing? No, it's to get – I want you to get an advantage on this defender, so we're going to motion you this way so you can quickly cut out and the quarterback could get those type of things. So it, it's, it's really fun watching him, and he has a good relationship with his players. He's very fiery. Like, you look at him, he's unassuming. You would think, oh, man, like this dude. But no, he is very fiery on the football field. And he literally wants to go out there and, and, and break your neck and keep breaking it. And that's what you have to have as a coach in this day and age with how aggressive offenses are. Another, you mentioned, obviously, Arthur Smith's dad. So much of these jobs end up being considered like CEOs. Like, really, yeah. you're, you're running everything. The fact that he is literally the son of a CEO. Yeah. <laughs> like, does that, like, and I don't know if he's ever talked about it because sometimes guys get, you know, skittish about talking about, you know, possibilities of futures. But has he ever talked about, like, how that's really influenced him? Because I feel like that's something that 
really no other candidate would have because he grew up around a guy who is running a multinational corporation. Yeah, he, he talked about that, but the thing that's so interesting is he said that's why he loves football so much because it's, it's, uh, it's something that allowed him to establish his own. He didn't want to ride coattails. He wanted to create his own lane, and that's what he did. So really, uh, when it comes to the whole FedEx thing and being the prince of, of a, a major company in the world, not just the country, but the world, for him, it, it was fuel to, to show that, hey, I don't need that. It's great to have. I'm blessed, but I don't need that. I got my own thing, and, and my own thing is football. And I think that goes back to just the love for the game and the understanding uh, of what it takes to grind because that's what he did. I met, Yeah. I met more just from a, like, you're still like an eight year old, nine year old, 10 year old. And you're see, you know, just, it's funny because I brought this up about Chris Spielman because his brother's obviously Rick Spielman and they just hired him earlier this week that sometimes mm. just by osmosis, you pick up things that otherwise you wouldn't pick up because oh, yeah. around it. So I was just wondering whether he's kind of said that, like there are things that, you know, dad comes home after a tough day and starts, you know, talking about work, well, that's a different level of conversation. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what I mean. He doesn't really want to talk about FedEx. Right. You know, he wants to talk about doing his own thing. So it's, I'm sure though, obviously, uh, someone starting a, a company like that from, from nothing and building it into one of the top companies in the world, there were undoubtedly things that he picked up from a leadership standpoint and just team building standpoint, but he hasn't really, Oh, but that's a good question. I might ask him that, actually. <laughs> well, let's hope. If, if he gives you the answer, <laughs> come back. Let us know what that is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, going back a little bit to football before we get you out of here. You did mention Taylor Lewan. What level is he playing at at this point? Because he's obviously a guy that in 14, I think a lot of people were like, well, maybe they should draft him. Now, granted, they end up getting Taylor Decker. Taylor Decker is a very fine left tackle. But mm -hmm. they took Eric Ebron. They needed, they needed offensive linemen at that point, along with wide receivers and Aaron Donald and, and all of that. But how is Taylor Lewan still playing now seven years in? Obviously, also a Michigan guy. Yeah, well, before he was injured, he was playing really well. And I think the major thing with, with Lewan was getting those penalties cut down. And his athleticism and just the way he's able to, to do things on the move, it's perfect for the, the outside zone that they like to run. Um, and then this year, he really matured into a lot more of a leader. You know, and it, it was cool to see that because, you know, when I, when I first got here in 18, it was like he was a very hot-headed dude that, you know, would just – he'll just say whatever. And you even saw in that year, and especially last year, you saw him just mature and, and really be willing to put himself out there before others. And not that he threw anyone else under the bus. He wasn't doing that. But you just saw him just say, you know what, I got to do better. When this defense alignment crossed my face, he was able to get pressure on Mariota, and that's why Mariota threw that interception. That's on me. Like, those are the things that you start to see. So he matured more off the field as far as like upstairs is concerned than, than anything else. But he definitely was playing really good football. Um, you, you start to see he and, and Roger Saffold, you know, they joke about themselves being the stepbrothers like that, that funny movie. 
you know, but uh, you saw them just start to gel. And that left side of the offensive, really the whole offensive line, but that left side during that playoff stretch last year, man, those guys were really moving people. And it was it was like vouchers in the club, man. Like, And they even joked with me. They were like, hey, man, no Timberlands, no white shirts, man. We're escorting you out the club. And, and that's, that's how they said that they were blocking. And it's really how they were doing it. So, yeah, he matured a lot that way and got a lot better, especially as a run block. Is he still around? Because obviously on IR, guys sometimes will be able to like go back, go go wherever. Theoretically, he yeah. could have gone air back back to Arizona where he's from, or even up to his dad's up. I think his dad's still up in Ann Arbor, where I am. Like, or is he still in Nashville? Kind of. No, he he's absolutely still in Nashville. Uh, he he's had a baby. I want to say three or four months ago. He has two girls now. His wife, uh, Taylin. Um, they together got in, in, involved. Uh, they have an organization, and they just fed a bunch of people for Thanksgiving. I would imagine they'll be doing the same thing for Christmas as well. So he's still in Nashville. He has his podcast, Bustin' with the Boys, with Will Compton. Um, you know, it's different with us not being in the building, so you're not in the locker room, so you, you don't know how farly involved they are there. To, you know, because I remember De- Delaney Walker, when he was on IR last year, we still saw them, you know, and I would always talk to them about Wu-Tang. You know what I mean? It's just what you do, right, when you get to see these guys every day, but it's not there now. So I don't know how much he's in the building, so to speak, but he's definitely in Nashville still. So the last thing, what do you think happens on Sunday? <laughs> I think Derrick Henry rushes for about <clears throat> buck seventy-five at least. I, I think um, it, it's going to be – now this, especially if Chase Daniels, uh, Chase Daniel, excuse me, let me get that right. If he doesn't play, <laughs> I mean, if he plays, I, I think, you know, we're talking about like a, a, a 42 to 14 type of game because the Titans are a team that, you know, they're still establishing themselves as, as a team that does what they're supposed to do week in and week out. And I, I think if they get a chance to to make this score lopsided, they're going to do it because that's a part of their creating that identity is, look, we're one of the teams to be reckoned with. I think that's the mindset that they have. So I think it'll be a lopsided game. <laughs> I, I tend to agree, especially because even if Matthew Stafford does play, you're not getting Matthew Stafford at 100%, not yeah. even close. He talked on Wednesday. And, I mean, beyond making a joke about posture, which obviously I got to kick <laughs> out of considering Matt Patricia and I's uh, – posture confrontation or posture conversation a couple years back yeah right (laughs) uh it sounded like he was like well let me see how i do here at the end of the week and that's never been matthew stafford's mo like he's always like i'm gonna play like let's see what like i get the sense that he knows like if i'm not really fully there I, i shouldn't play this week and and that's just the sense I get. But who knows? This podcast is dropping on Friday, and we'll see what happens on Thursday as we're recording this on Wednesday. But, yeah, I, I don't get the sense that you'll get a full Matthew Stafford either way, and that's going to be uh, problematic. Yeah, for sure, man. And he's a tough cookie, so if he can't go, that definitely means that it's, it's a, a truly significant injury. Oh, yeah, I know. It's no joke. Teron, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, man. appreciate you having me, man for sticking with us and hopefully you enjoyed the conversation we had with Tehran. Hopefully maybe you picked up something, learned something, uh, maybe it got you a little bit more insight 
on some potential head coaching candidates or what makes a successful head coach. We'll get into that a little bit more probably next week, the week after, as we kind of continue to roll on here toward the end of the season and the beginning of a new era for the Detroit Lions. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. You can follow Teron Davenport on Twitter at TDavenport underscore NFL. I highly recommend you do it. Feel free to drop us a five-star review if you'd be so kind. Hopefully you've enjoyed the podcast this week, this month, as we continue to enjoy bringing it to you. And with that, we will talk with you on Monday. Football, as we have seen, is very much back in full swing. And you might not be at a game this year. Only 500 or so people can be in Lions games over the last couple of home games. But you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use that promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.